final segment, uh, just some just some roundup of some news items here. And, you know, we were lamenting the fact that the Sacramento Bee, uh, well, one hopes, does not ever become only electronic. We mentioned an item from the bad idea file not too long ago, this idea of having a tent city in Sacramento without any sanitation. Apparently cooler heads are, are pointing out there's, there's a lot of disadvantages to having an, uh, an encampment of 400 homeless people in tents without sanitation. I want to quote from Marcos Breton's excellent column on this in the B from last Sunday, which was as follows. Sacramento's gone crazy since Oprah Winfrey focused national attention on the tent city of homeless people living in full view of downtown buildings and the state capitol dome. Do-gooders armed with donations flocked to a fetid stretch near the American River and Blue Diamond Almond Plant. In the process, the unfortunate residents on Dreher Street and Basler Street, primary access points for the tent city, saw their streets becoming loading zones for charity. The tent city violates SMUD and Union Pacific property. The camp is no solution to anything, nor is it a symbol of Sacramento's lack of compassion. In truth, Oprah should have never found the tents. The tent city is a fascinating story about human nature and Sacramento politics. City, SMUD, and Union Pacific officials have been cowed into inaction for fear of looking like bad guys. The responsible parties, Sister Libby Fernandez and Joan Burke, of Loaves and Fishes, the charity that caters to the homeless. These two ladies have triggered a standoff by evoking Mahatma Gandhi, bringing the British Empire to its knees. They are righteous, humble servants living the word of God. A little bit later, Marcos notes, to his credit, Mayor Kevin Johnson is stepping up to a no-win issue. He speaks of practicing tough love. Fernandez and Burke practice unconditional love on the addicts and mentally ill souls at their door. Governments, like the one Johnson represents, limit services. Our ladies help everyone. God doesn't turn anyone away, Burke said. That mantra made loaves and fishes a magnet for homeless people, though the ladies reject the word because magnet, in this case, is politically explosive. It's no less true. Quoting Charles Washington, a recent tent city resident who's from Vacaville, Sacramento is the best place to go to get from the gutter on up. There's lots of resources here. That's why I came. Well, thank you, Marcos Breton. We tried to point this out on this program on numerous occasions. People have argued that Loaves and Fishes is not bringing people from all over Northern California to Sacramento, but the facts would suggest otherwise. Another good commentary in the beep by Candy Chand, noting how Sacramento County is trying to begin a streamlining a process to expedite real estate projects for its, quote, customers, unquote. Noted Ms. Chan, for developers, this is a huge coup. For citizens affected by poorly planned growth, not so much. She asks, instead of streamlining development, how about streamlining mitigation requirements that benefit the average citizen? Shouldn't efficiency work both ways? After all, it's citizens who often wait for years for mitigations to be enforced. She cited numerous examples. One I like, when developer Rainin and Bardis was given approval for the Murrieti, for Murrieta, for Rancho Murrieta projects in the 1990s, it was required to mitigate the loss of oak woodlands. However, the developer disregarded the stipulation, either didn't plant trees, or the builder planted the seedlings in the wrong place, leaving them to die. Again, this economic downturn is a chance for all of us to just sort of uh, take a deep breath and see whether a real estate bubble is, is a good thing to go back to. 
It's a good question to ask in the wake of an article that was in the, the Sacramento Bee uh, several weeks ago, noting how out in the ill-planned North Natomas area, there's only one fire station, which leaves 15,000 residents and three schools outside of the station's five-minute range. We've talked about the disaster of North Natomas uh, many times in the show. We're going to probably continue to do so. This was the area that former Mayor Heather Fargo was... Uh, <laughs> was in favor of developing because it would bring all of this tax revenue into the city. Turns out, in fact, it's apparently not generating enough ta tax revenue to pay for itself. And speaking of bad deals, <laughs> prying open the lid of its coffin and walking the streets of Sacramento again is the undead story of how the Sacramento Kings just have to have a new arena. Why, you know, its billionaire owners are find that, that the arena they have now just doesn't impress people well enough. Enough. Great article by Daniel Weintraub in the Sacramento Bee about all of this, uh, which is basically, you know, all of this is raising more questions than it's answering. Questions of money. Are the developers of this, uh, this new arena going to pay for the use of public lands? Much of the current Cal Expo property would be converted from a public asset into a private one. Anyway, anyway, I'd like to refer you to the Sacramento Bee. They had a summary of this whole proposal saying, the numbers seem more than a little off. Noting despite the claims by the NBA uh, and, and, uh, and developers that uh, an independent assessment suggests that the NBA's plan is deeply flawed, dotted with unrealistic assumptions and questionable conclusions. Just to pick one, the NBA says a developer would build 2.5 million square feet of office space on Cal Expo land. That works out to 10 times more than the current office space inventory in the Point West market around the fairgrounds, and three times more than has been built in all of downtown Sacramento since 1994. We've said it before, we'll say it again. If we're in danger of losing the Kings, I'm quite confident that a lot of us, dear listeners, are going to be willing to go down and help them pack. And uh, finally, while I was gone, arguments went to the California Supreme Court as to whether Proposition 8 should be upheld. Good article by Peter Schrag, and a, spe a special piece uh, to the Sacramento Bee, noted that the court is likely to uphold the proposition. Apparently, the California, uh, the Chief Justice, Ron George, along with uh, Justice Joyce Kennard, who were part of that 4-3 to three majority that granted the rights of gay marriage to California citizens, are... are not willing to strike down the initiative. I find the arguments being used, as far as I understand them, to be rather bizarre. And I continue to be astonished at, at, at the, the vehemence and just ill-advised actions of some of the folks who were part of the No on 8 campaign. People are being outed. People are getting fired from their jobs thanks to outcries. The No on 8 people managed to put together a list of anyone who donated as much as $100 to Yes on 8, combining that with Google Earth to create maps of where you can find all of those donors' houses. Uh, you know, this is right up there with uh, Bush-Cheney, uh, you know, civil rights violations, in my opinion. Very, very, very disturbing stuff. And if the California Supreme Court upholds the initiative, are they going to go to the highest court in the land? I think it's fair to say it will lose if it goes to Washington, and it'll, it'll just spend a lot of political capital along the way. 
Wouldn't it be better to do what I think we all agree should be done? Just have, you know, civil unions be granted the same rights as marriage? I don't know. I got a lot of friends that are just convinced 100% they, they, uh, they have moral certitude that they are correct and there's just, just no other way of looking at it and they're acting accordingly. And I think that's, that's a recipe for some problems. America is, after all, a nation founded by Puritans. And a lot of Europeans look at us and just shake their heads at how, how Puritan we still are. I think I mentioned a while back that over in Iceland, Johanna Sigurdotter has become the world's first openly gay prime minister. And uh, everyone in Iceland, just, that's just that whole sexual orientation is just a big yawner issue. It would be nice if we were so blasé here in America, but uh, the Christian right, it just, it's, just, it's just going to be a problem for a long time. And this is just a red meat issue for those folks. It revives them. It just, it just, it just, it just is like smelling salts and a rub down in their corner to send them back out into the ring to continue punching. All right, we're just about out of time. I want to close the last couple minutes of the show with a delightful book that I got on the way to the airport. Titled Rules of Thumb, A Life Manual. Brilliant guesstimates, shortcuts, and a few shots in the dark. And by the way, that term guesstimates, we could thank Paul Harvey for that one. What I'm going to do in the weeks to come is look a few of these up and call up experts to ask them what they think of these rules of thumb. Just give you a couple examples today and, and, and invite your feedback uh, on this. How about this one? Rule of thumb from Martha Farnsworth Rich, former director of the U.S. Census Bureau. Inviting more than 25% of the guests from the economics department to a university party ruins the conversation. Here's one that came from the rulesofthumb.org review board. When asked an important question, always pause for at least a silent count of three before answering. You will appear to be more thoughtful and intelligent. Hmm. Interesting thought. Here's one that rings true to me. You, according to W. Woodman, you can't always back out of what you drive forward into, but you can always drive forward out of what you backed into. And maybe the most provocative one in the book. I really wonder about this one. If the object of your affection does not make you a bit nervous, at least in the beginning, it's not love. All right, we got time for two, two last ones. To tell if a pearl is genuine, rub it against your teeth. A fake pearl will feel smooth. The real thing will grate. I did not know that. And lastly, to avoid lunatics on city buses, sit in the middle. The friendly lunatics sit as close to the driver as they can, and the unfriendly ones sit as far away as they can. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is all we have time for. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. Every day I get in the queue. Get on a bus that takes me to you. 